2: Live from the Nasdaq market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami right now on Fast. A big beat for Tesla. Revenue up 81% from last year. The stock higher after hours. We'll go inside the numbers and hear from Elon Musk on the conference call coming up. Plus, A Netflix nosedive of epic proportions. The streamer ending the session down 35%. Its worst day since 2004, now down over 60% this year. So is Netflix dead money? And what about the rest of the entertainment stocks? And later, United Airlines just out with earnings minutes ago. The stock is soaring up 7%. We got a first on CNBC interview with the CEO, Scott Kirby straight ahead. But we start off with that big move higher in Tesla. The stock is popping by about 5% after the company beat on the top and the bottom lines, revenue jumping 81% from year ago levels, and deliveries is topping 310,000 vehicles. Tesla's call kicks off at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Elon Musk could join. Maybe he won't. Hopefully he will. Phil LeBeau has got all the numbers and the details. Phil.
1: Hey, Melissa, he says he'll be on the call. I think he has something to say, maybe about something <laughs> called Twitter. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's first talk about the numbers that Tesla just reported, much better than expected, and that's the reason the stock is surging right now. A beat on the top and the bottom line. Check this out: earning 3.22 a share for the first quarter. The street was expecting them to earn 2.26. Blew it away by a du- uh, by a buck. And then you've got revenue coming in one billion dollars stronger than expected at 18.76 billion. And the final metric, the one that I think. You know the people who look at the numbers within the numbers are going to be really excited about look at the automotive gross margins excluding government credits it was expected to come in at 28.9% came in at 30%. By the way, that 30% is an improvement on the fourth quarter when it was 29.2%. As you mentioned, the conference call starts in about a half hour. We do expect Elon Musk to be on that call. He said earlier today he will be on that call. And yes, a lot of it will be focused on Tesla. But you can bet, Melissa, there will be analyst questions regarding Twitter on a whole number of subjects Is it going to divert his attention from running Tesla? Will he collateralize his stake in Tesla to finance a purchase of Twitter? Lots of things that are going to be coming up. So more anticipation than usual for this conference call.
2: Uh, Phil, as as far as I read in the uh, investor shareholder deck, um, it seemed like they were pretty much sticking along the guidance in terms of delivery vehicles for the year, in terms of their growth numbers, which seems surprising a little bit, given the shutdowns we've seen in Shanghai.
1: Well, remember, they have said for some time they expect to grow annual deliveries by 50%. Give or take some years might be a little above 50%, might be a little below 50%. If you take how many they delivered last year, 936,000, What's 50% of that? I think 1.45 billion, something like 4 or 5 million. That's what they're expecting. So I'm not surprised that they did did not get into more detail. But you can bet, Melissa, during the call, there will be a lot of questions about the state of production in China, which, as we know, was shut down at the end of March and shut down for the first week in April. Local reports say that they're starting to fire it back up again. We'll find out more detail in a little bit.
2: All right. That call will be a fascinating one phil thank you we'll see in a little bit with the ceo of ual meantime let's trade tesla here um dan nathan what do you make of this quarter
3: Uh, You know, Phil just said it's surging in the aftermarket. It's up four percent. It was down five percent today. The stock is a trillion dollar market cap that has been up 30 so percent from its lows just a month ago. Do the math on that. Guy can do it. It's three hundred billion dollars in market cap. So if we're talking about what the expectations were and they handily beat them in a market that's actually punishing. We're going to talk about Netflix companies that are disappointing. I'd say that's fantastic. I'm not really that excited about the fact that the stock's up four percent. I would just tell you this, that The theme of the market over the last, let's call it, year and a quarter now is stocks that are divorced, right, from like reasonable fundamentals will correct and they will overcorrect to the other side. And so the fact of the matter is this stock, a trillion dollars moving around the way it has over the last few months is not particularly healthy to me when everything is firing on all cylinders. Can you imagine what will happen if there's any bumps in the road?
2: OK, so far there aren't,
4: though, Karen. No, those <laughs> weren't bumps in the road. That was really impressive. I mean, and to your point, though, it is right back to where it was last night. If you had known right. last night you could buy the stock here and this would be the earnings that would come out, you would have thought, yes, I mm-hmm. definitely want to do that. It's interesting to me that that's where we are now, flat, basically. But those were really impressive numbers. I mean, the gross margin, Phil talked about it. That was really impressive. You and I were talking uh, before the show started Was it because of the mix? Because China had the lower priced cars and that was out of the mix. They must have good pricing. So, I mean, there's a lot to really love if you're a Tesla fan here. The valuation is high, but this quarter,
2: I mean, very impressive. Yeah. um, And they were able to deliver uh, in stark contrast to some of the automaker, other automakers who have been promising on EV, but been, been snarled by supply chain issues. And here we are. Tesla's really looking like a standout. We knew that, but here with these results, Tim, maybe that sort of underscores this notion that at least for now perhaps Tesla is safe quote unquote safe from competition
0: Look, our, our audience knows what my view on Tesla has been over the years, and i haven 't been bullish um, but it's it's hard not to argue what what 's gone on here and and first of all, I thought this report the Contribution from Berlin and, and and Texas is huge, and and the fact that they're also able to begin uh, delivering YS and and you know, the battery cells and the packs out of that, I, I think, are very important. I, I look at the ASP growth and I look at the gross margins. If they're growing production 50% a year with um, this kind of a profit model, um, the stock's actually going to probably hold on to a lot of the valuation. I I, I hear what you're saying, Dan, on on the chart. Um, it's probably the best mega cap chart. Uh, tech company chart out there right now. And so, uh, no, I don't I don't want to chase this, but but I have to tip the cap. And and also, again, their ability to de-risk their business out of China somewhat. Uh, Shanghai should have been a much bigger deal than it was this quarter.
2: Yeah, um, that's interesting. So, Guy, would you agree with Tim that this perhaps looks like the best mega cap tech chart out there right now? And if so, what do you do if you're not in the stock right now? Could it be a buy right now?
5: Yeah, I don't know if it's the best-looking chart. I'd have to look at the other good-looking charts to make that um, (laughs) determination. I'll say this, though. You know, this is the quarter that people have been buying the stock for years waiting for. So they are seemingly growing into the valuation we've been concerned about. Everybody points out the obvious that we're right back where we were yesterday. The one number I took away, operating margins close to 20% is really good. I mean, it's a really strong quarter, but now the stock needs to prove itself. What does that mean? It made an all-time high in November of last year, 12.43, had a sell-off, pulled, went back to 11.45, I think, earlier this month. Now's the time where the stock needs to prove itself. The bears tried, they failed, now the bulls have to try and see if we can get through that 11.50 level.
2: All right, for more on Tesla's quarter, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Gene, great to see you. What are you focusing on, in on in the quarter?
6: Melissa, the key takeaway is traditional auto just can't keep up with Tesla, and there's two points I want to enumerate. First on the profitability standpoint, I agree with uh, Karen completely, is that this upside on the critical gross margin X credits number was based on higher margin, uh, the higher margin performance skews. The price increases that we've seen had little to do with this beat, because those price increases come when deliveries. Many of those deliveries are pushed out three, four, five months. And so we're going to see that price increase layering forward. So when we think about the gap between Tesla and traditional auto, just beyond the specifics of the, the numbers, is that the profitability and why are Tesla consumers paying up for these performance models essentially to jump the line to get them sooner is because they want their products and other automotive companies just don't, simply don't have that demand for their EVs. And second is what happened with their tax credit revenue. This is a metric, a line item that largely gets ignored. It's basically when Tesla sells uh, these compliance uh, certificates to other automotive companies that aren't making enough EVs. And the quarter was 690 million, uh, last quarter is 314 million. They had been giving guidance that that number would decline over time as more automotive makers, the traditional ones, made more EVs. They wouldn't need to purchase these credits. And so ultimately, that uh, surprise is testimony to the strength that Tesla is having competitively. So I think that the takeaway is it's not a good spot. This is not a good quarter for traditional auto.
2: Uh, Gene, I'm curious to whether or not you think um, what's going on in Shanghai, the shutdown, will affect ultimate numbers. Uh, for the second quarter and for the year?
6: It will. We're well, obviously going to hear some of that on the call. My, my guess is it's somewhere between 30 and 40,000 vehicles, assuming that things get back up and running in early May. That would amount to about two and a half percent of total deliveries in 2022. So it, it is measurable, but it is uh, transitory, assuming uh, I do believe it's transitory. And I think investors are largely going to look past it.
2: And, Gene, when we think about Tesla versus the traditional automakers, are we, um, you know, in the Tesla deck, what, what struck me was sort of them highlighting the advantages they have um, in terms of their in house production, the simplification of the production process, fewer number of parts um, that are cast, the 4680 in house cells. Um, that were delivered with cars for the first time out of Texas. I mean, these sorts of things, it seems like it's a deeper moat versus some of the traditional automakers. Or do these other automakers also have that sort of technology in the works?
6: First, most I'm impressed at uh, just the, the, the level of detail there. Second, is that there is a distinction, a gap. And I would just simply look at two videos uh, look at the video, look, do a video flyover, a drone, a, uh, some video of gig- Gigafactory, Texas. Compare that to GM's new electric uh, vehicle factory that they just came out with. It is about as stark of a contrast. And one uh, example looks like something out of the 1980s from GM uh, with humans moving things around. When you look at how Tesla is done internally with their robotics, it looks like something out of the Terminator, some science fiction movie. Uh, This is the detail, and this is what uh, goes beyond, I think, uh, again, the, the, uh, I think getting in, in my view is uh, overly focused on some of the metrics, understand why they're important. But the bigger picture is what you're talking about on the production side, the machine that makes the machine. Uh, that also is something that doesn't come through in these numbers tonight. You don't see it. But as, if you are uh, a wor- if you work at one of those other automotive companies, that's what you're thinking about tonight is uh, that factory and wondering how in the world am I going to compete with that?
2: What's the one question that you would like to ask Elon Musk about the quarter when it comes to Tesla? Uh,
6: what's his uh, how many delivery backlogs do they uh, how many delivery vehicles do they have in backlog? Uh, because that obviously is going to give you some confidence about that one point four million number estimate that Philebo was talking yeah. about for 2022.
2: All right. Thanks, Gene. Uh, you're going to stick around for us. So we'll see you a little bit later. Let's uh trade this meantime karen how are you feeling about traditional automakers not good not good uh i i it's just funny though jean look at the brain on you harvard girl you impressed him
4: <laughs> i mean not surprising to all of us who know you but um no not good they're just way ahead and um you know they the valuation chasm has gotten even bigger if that's even possible mathematically mm-hmm. at some point i would think it, it can't yeah. be
2: possible any longer but as it should that is the direction it should go no doubt Or is this this the moment, Dan, where Tesla's on the cusp of facing very steep Competition that everybody else is underestimating. That's
3: what Michael Burry thinks. I mean, listen, I don't mean to sound so churlish about the story. Someone just That's tweeted, <laughs> someone just tweeted at me <laughs> that says Dan hates Tesla. I don't hate Tesla. He's obviously doing an amazing job. They're executing. I actually hate the stock. And I've been in this business for 25 years. And we've seen stocks like this before. Maybe not get to a trillion based on this sort of sentiment, um, based on the founder, based on the period in which we are and feeling about the disruption within a specific industry. Every single time they come crashing down every single time. So it really is a matter of timing. And the stock has really only worked for the last two years. Okay, now it's worked to the tune of $900 billion. Okay, so a lot of people have made money on it. But it only actually makes them kind of get that much more into the story, which actually presents more risk. So I think buying into it here based on the best quarter they've ever had after the stock has gone up 900 points in a year and a half, doesn't make any sense. Now, every step of the way, you could have bought every dip and you'd be making money except yeah. the last two months. But here's the thing. Let's see how it acts tomorrow. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's as good as it gets.
2: Okay. Um, we've got an earnings alert here on United Airlines. The stock is popping after to hours despite posting a miss on the top and the bottom lines. United says it expects to report a profit for the full year 2022 after a tough first quarter. Phil LeBeau is back with a first on CNBC interview with United CEO Scott Kirby. Phil.
1: Thank you, Melissa. Scott? I don't know how no. else to say this, but that's <laughs> that's some serious guidance that yeah. you gave for the rest of this year. Yeah. I, I don't want to focus too much on the first quarter. Yeah. I want to instead focus on the reason the stock is moving yeah. higher, profitable second quarter, and then the rest of this year. I just looked at the, before I came over here, the analysts are expecting you guys to lose 230, I think. Yeah. Uh, what's changed?
7: Yeah, I've never seen, uh, really what's changed is demand. I've never seen in my career, and I've been in this industry a long time, such a hockey stick increase in demand, leisure demand. But also business demand. We actually expect business, tra- our business revenue, uh, book business revenue, to be above 2019 levels uh, in just a few weeks, and we're already booking more business uh, revenue than we have capacity. Um, it's really amazing.
1: We know that it always goes up in the summertime. Spring and summer is, yeah. is the busy time. But you guys expect this type of demand to go well beyond spring and summer. How long does this last?
7: Yeah. Look, I think we're in the first inning. This is really the turning point, um, the inflection point for for coming out of COVID as we transition from pandemic into endemic. Um, And this is the first quarter. We still have a long way to go on the business travel recovery, a ways to go on Europe. Asia is basically not open yet. Um, And another way I think about this is we're back to 2019 revenue levels and we're producing the kind of 10% operating margins this quarter. But, nominal GDP since 2019 has grown by 16%. Normally, we would grow with nominal GDP. That would sort of tell you, if we just get back to the normal trends, there's another 16% to go. I mean, it really is an amazing turnaround. The skeptic would say, look at airfares,
1: and that you guys are capturing that early pent-up demand, and that with airfares at this level, where you're making up the full increase in jet fuel costs, you're not gonna be able to keep it at these levels for this long. The industry won't be able to keep it at these levels.
7: Well, look, I think demand is gonna continue to grow. Um, You know, you look at business travel, it, it really is, it's on it. You look at the charts that we have internally, they're just heading up and to the right. It's got a ways to go. European travel, you know, it's really strong right now. But we still have testing requirements. There's going to be a step function increase when that happens. Asia demand is not there yet. I mean, really, are we're still 16 points behind sort of where we should be? Um, and and fares have gone up compared to pandemic levels, but they're still a great value, and they're still you know probably back to kind of 2017, 18. And f- inflation-adjusted levels. Still a great value, still a great bargain to travel, um, and I think demand uh, is really just, we're really just in the first inning of the real travel recovery. Scott, Melissa has a question for you. Melissa?
2: Hey, Scott, I was wondering how you think about uh, what the trajectory of this looks like and whether or not there's a certain element of pull-forward travel that is going on. We talk about revenge spending a lot. Maybe there's some of that going yeah. on in, in terms of travel and leisure in that spending won't be done later on or next year because it's being done now because it's the first time people can get out and go.
8: Yeah.
7: Well, look, I think it's still a to-be-determined question. My own opinion is uh... that that's not the case um, and, and particularly we're still well behind trend relative to gdp from a macro level uh, and so there's a long way to go i would also tell you that a year ago people were saying the exact same thing about domestic leisure travel it's all been put forward it's pent up demand um, and it's done nothing but accelerate since then really i think part of what happens here is particularly after what we all went through in the pandemic, you know, the value of experience, the recognition of going on a business trip and meeting with a client, going on a, you know, a business conference and, and networking, I think people appreciate it even more. I think there's gonna be at least as much demand as there was before and arguably more. Um, I certainly am traveling more uh, and expect to do that you know, forever. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are gonna travel even more than they did before the pandemic started.
1: And will you be more judicious in terms of your capacity? I know you're already being judicious in the second quarter. Does that continue for the remainder of this year?
7: Yeah, look, there are a lot of challenges uh, around the industry in terms of being able to support the flying. You see a lot of airlines actually having meltdowns. You know, at United, we're fortunate. We've hired 6,000 people. We don't really have a challenge hiring people. We have great careers. But there's all the other infrastructure challenges. And because of that, we're taking our time bringing capacity back. Our number one objective um, is to make sure that we focus on the long-term for our customers and operate reliably. I'm proud that, you know, so far this month, we're number one in on-time performance of all airlines in the country. We're number one in completion factor, uh, and our team is doing a great job. But we're not gonna let the possibility of short-term profits you know put the customer experience at risk and we're prioritizing operational reliability so we're going to keep gradually adding back capacity uh... and making sure that we can do so and do so reliably scott kirby
1: ceo of united airlines on a huge day with yeah the top and the bottom for the first quarter they they were a miss but that's not why the stock is moving higher yeah. and by the way melissa just so you know ceos do have friendly wagers with their CFOs. Scott was telling me, he told the CFO, I bet you we top 50 after this earnings report. CFO said, oh, no, 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 no,
7: Look, smiling right now. You weren't now. supposed to tell him that. Oh, sorry. It was a
1: friendly what wager. Win? It was a friendly what wager. did
2: he win, Phil?
7: Uh, what, what did you win? 20 bucks and pride. Oh, there you go.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, not bad. 20 bucks and pride. 50.07 is where the stock is now. Thank you, Phil, and thank you, Scott, as well. We've only begun to scratch the surface of airline earnings, so be sure to tune in to CNBC tomorrow at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time for an interview with American Airlines CEO Robert Isom and at 1 p.m. to hear the CEO of Alaska Airlines. Let's trade United here. Tim, big, big guide
0: here. Uh, Not big guide. I mean, this is massive. The fact that you're talking Mm -hmm. about also long haul and and international increasing rapidly, business travel increasing rapidly. He mentioned that that actually capacity is down 20 percent from a year. and, And yet, TRASM, so total revenue per available seat mile, is, is up almost 17%. Airlines are more efficient and, and more profitable today. Now, that's the real key. Watch airlines, because often they've disappointed investors, and that's what investors watch in the space, is how efficient they can be. But right now, um, at 52 bucks on the chart, he should get an even bigger prize, because that's really where you've broken a, a one-year downtrend for this company. And I, I think this is a very important day, um, profitability and, and return to the front of the bus.
2: Yeah. Return to business travel has just begun, Guy. I mean, I know that you like to stay home. <laughs> you haven't been here at the Nasdaq at least for a while. <laughs> but what do, you, what do you make of that? Because if that is the case, that we're just on the cusp of the return of business travel, there's a lot more to come in, in terms of demand for airline tickets.
5: I could take one of those United planes from Morristown into the city. I'd be there every day. It's a a remarkable guide. And for context, pre-COVID, United was a $92 stock. Today, it's a better run company to Tim's point, far more efficient. I get fuel costs, okay, but that's in the stock right now. I'm not saying it's going back to 90, but this should be mid-60s. And we made the same case for Delta a couple days ago. The airlines, to me, still have a lot of room to the upside. What is
4: the read through to the reopen trade? Uh, Well, I thought your question was a good one. I think there is some pull forward. It doesn't need to be all or none. But uh, one thing though, I want to point out, comparing the stock to 90, I look at the enterprise value. The enterprise value is all the way back to the high, right, when you include that debt that they had to take. So maybe it should be. Maybe to Tim's point, they're a better run airline now if they have capacity constrained, meaning that they'll get much better pricing. I can see how it makes sense. I don't own them, though.
3: I just say this acknowledgement of that bet almost ensures that the stock closed below 50. I'm just telling you that flat out. We'll check it tomorrow. This
2: is the CFO, so it's it's really fine. They both win. (laughs) (laughs) 50-25. So it looks like Scott Kirby's the winner still. Uh, coming up, we are just moments away from Tesla's conference call kickoff CEO Elon Musk planning to join and dig into the company's blowout quarter. We will give you the headlines out of that call. Plus the latest on the Netflix plum shares dropping more than 35% for its worst day since 2004. More on the fallout when Fast Money returns.
8: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
2: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or
9: travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich
8: is knowing what counts.
2: Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive
8: approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take a look at Netflix's eye-popping loss today, the stock dropping 35% after the company reported its first subscriber loss in 10 years. Let's take a listen to what some of the experts had to say about the results.
0: You're in growth purgatory. You go from growth to value instantly. It's not cheap enough for value investors yet. Cash flows ultimately the floor. This thing, you know, we, we think it keep falling, and uh, until you see the turn in revenue growth, which is probably twelve to twenty-four months away, you know, this is dead
3: money in my view.
2: I found yesterday very blamey of external factors and them reacting, and I think we need they need to put more of that blame on their decision making being slow. So I'm hoping that this sort of, um, you know, slap in the face of these numbers they're reporting is a wake up call because many streamers are doing much more innovative things. So that was just Laura Martin, and she actually upgraded Netflix to a market performed today amidst all the downgrades and price target cuts on the street. So what has to happen for this stock to turn itself around? I think that this notion that Michael Nathanson brought up of um, valuation purgatory is a very interesting one, Karen. Where is mm-hmm. it in your view? It's it's closer to, uh, I guess, the good end
4: of purgatory. I don't know how the value. spectrum of cur- purgatory is. I mean, it's true. You know, it could without, uh, you know, we talked about the three-day rule yesterday. At this pace, there'll be zero if they go down this much every day by by day three. I want to own it there. If it starts to have a something south of a 2PE, 20PE, that, to me, is interesting. I mean, watching it today, I could barely contain myself, and yet I did. I didn't buy any. I do think that there is still, there was just a mass exodus, and I don't think everyone made it out the door today, despite the huge volume. So I do think there's more downside. Analysts, of course, were rushing to, to just get out. But I think it's, I mean, when you think about, The valuation, the 225 million subscribers over the one, you know, the hundred billion Mm dollars, 225 million subscribers is not that much per month, certainly compared to something like a Peloton. I know it's not apples to apples, but a Peloton at twenty six hundred dollars, twenty seven hundred dollars per subscription. I don't know. I I think this is kind of a unique property. I realize it was a giant, giant mess up. You don't need to jump in, but starting to get pretty compelling. And maybe there'll be some interesting buyers out there that will surface. Buyers of stock. Of, of, of stock. stock. Okay. Yes.
2: Well, I just want to be clear on well, that. Well, there
3: should be strategic buyers. Google should buy it. If they're gonna do mm-hmm. an ad support, if they're gonna do an ad
2: supported product, do it. why can't they do it? Big cap technology. Because YouTube. Can't do-
3: because YouTube? I mean maybe. Yeah. I don't would know. Apple but there should it? there could be a big platform that could do it which not really I mean I don't know why the Justice Department would care if something doesn't have a huge overlap. So Google wouldn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But again, I'll just say one thing quickly about you know, if you look at the margin structure that you have over at Roku with their ad supported business, this would actually help. Uh, Netflix's margins if they were to have a real meaningful ad-supported business. In my opinion, that captures a bunch of those users who are not paying, that they're on their family's account or something like that. Yeah. So to me, I think you're probably right. At some point in the not-so-distant future in 2022, this is going to become a really good value stock.
2: Um, let's get back to Gene and get his thoughts. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. you got a couple minutes before the Tesla call starts. Uh, Gene, so did it deserve a 35% haircut in a single day?
6: Ah, uh, simple answer is yes because this. Keep in mind, is the second time they did this over three months. We had the big drop when they reported the December quarter. I think a lot of investors who thought let's give them a chance to rectify things uh, really just hit the sell button today. When the stock was down 15% in the aftermarket, I thought we're not done yet. This needs a re-rating. We have to get these growth investors out of here. When the stock was down what it was today, Loop actually started to build a position, not a full position. Uh, consider it a half a position because I would agree with your traders that this is something that difficult to pick the bottom, but at some level it becomes attractive. We call that fair value and it hit that uh, that threshold. I love Karen's uh, three-day rule. That's why we didn't do uh, build all of it here, but I would just uh, simply uh, go back to uh, what I believe is, uh, I've, I've been negative on Netflix for a long time. Uh, and here we are starting to build a position. And, uh, uh, one thing I've always believed in is that this company is going to be around for a long time. And when you have an opportunity to uh, what, in my view, take advantage of what I think is some emotional selling and and invest in a company that's going to be around mm-hmm. and have the luxury, I guess we do to have a luxury to own something for uh, two years plus, I think you're going to see that, that lift. You're going to see the comps starting to get easier. We talked about a year-plus out. I think it's going to probably happen maybe sooner than that. But I actually, a tale of two cities here. First, it needed a re-rating. I thought it got the proper re-rating, not saying that the selling's done, but I think this is getting most attractive in here.
2: It can last for a long time. It could exist for a long time, Gene, but that doesn't necessarily make the stock at this point a good investment or or make it valued where it should be valued. I'm, I'm curious what your take is on the management aspect of this. Karen and I were having this, discuss, this discussion prior to the show. I was sort of surprised um, at sort of the acknowledgement that, you know, password sharing had been a problem, but we were growing so fast. It wasn't a priority. Um, and then this whole notion of the ad supported tier this is not like this is a new model that just all of a sudden came in out of the blue. I mean, other platforms have had this for a while, and it sort of surprised me that they would say, finally, it's time to do that. It's going to take another couple of years to do that, that they hadn't been doing this in parallel to the growth. But there was sort of no there is no uh, possibility in, in management's brain that this growth would possibly slow.
6: Yeah. Yes, it was uh, it was a miss for a management team that largely, uh, excluding the last couple quarters, has done a great job over the last decade at, at at getting there. And so I think this is it's a strike. There's no question about it. The the factor when I think about that, I think that that plays into kind of the emotional side of some of the selling that happens today. When you see that and you start to question. I would I would say that if if you want to run a streaming service, uh, there is a handful of people. I put Netflix at the top. I put probably Apple even ahead of that. I think they're uh, going to build something that is still in its infancy that's going to be very powerful. But I I uh, would would just suggest don't uh, run to the extreme that that management is is incompetent because they've made some mistakes. Uh, yes, they overestimated what the growth. I was embarrassed by their commentary about the, the password sharing. It felt like a defensive excuse. Um, it is a fact of their business, and I think that they're going to find ways to, uh, to to try to monetize that. At the end of the day, uh, uh, investors should be happy that this management team is still in place. Yep.
2: Uh, Gene, always good to get your take. Uh, maybe we'll Thank see you, you later on in the show uh, after Tesla's oh Tesla's call is, is underway right now. Um, Guy, what would you say to Gene who started to build a position here?
5: Gene, let's well, see, has been spot on with it, number one. And the fact that as negative as he's been and he's starting to build a position, I think people should take that into consideration. When somebody looks at something and says it makes a little more sense now that it has, absolutely. Gene does great work. Karen mentioned it as well. I was the one last night that thought it would hold 260. That was wrong. You know, the rest of the panel, Steve Grasso, obviously, three day rule coming into play. I'll say this quickly, and this is not directed at Gene, but the negativity surrounding the stock today specifically is is sort of juxtaposed to the euphoria literally just a few months ago in November when it was a $700 stock. Now somewhere in the middle is the truth, right? And it did trade 135 million shares today. We thought it would trade close to 100. You blew a lot of people out. So I think you're getting pretty close to pretty tradable bottom for sure.
2: All right. Well, no surprise, today's Netflix washout spurred a blizzard of repositioning among options traders. Let's bring in Tony Zang to break down the action. Tony, what'd you see?
6: Yeah, today amongst that 35% decline, we saw 16 times the average daily volume here on Netflix. But one particular trade really stood out, where a trader sold over 5,000 contracts of the June 225 calls and used that premium to purchase over 13,000 contracts of the June $215 puts for an average price of about uh, 70 cents or so in terms of the net credit that he received. So just to put this trade into perspective, they laid out $22 million in premium to bet on further downside here for Netflix while collecting about $9 million in premium by selling those upside calls. Now, right now, we don't know whether this is an outright new speculative bet or an outright hedge on an equity position, but it certainly reflects a fairly bearish view on Netflix continuing going forward.
2: Yeah, that's a good caveat. Tony, thank you. Tony Zhang. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, take a look at a couple of stocks getting a boost from Netflix struggles. Ad tech and advertising companies like Magnite, Omnicom, IPG, WPP all rising today as the streaming service says it is looking to add an ad-supported tier. Um, Tim, we were talking about you know if, if Netflix is going to get advertisers on its platform, where does that ad spend come from in your view?
0: Well, and I'd just be careful about chasing some of those moves too, because I think these are high multiple tech stocks that also have been in the same you know whirlwind. Uh, look, uh, the extra ad dollars—it's—it's it's hard to know. I mean, I, I get very worried here with Netflix that that actually the churn related to the price increases. So um, th- they claim they can build upon a 700 million uh, user. Uh, total addressable market. I'm concerned about that. And, and I'm not sure if if there are people that are going to trade down to the to the ad model. And obviously those are the folks that the advertisers are going to be counting on. So uh, I think there's some cannibalization here. And it's something that I think people should be concerned about.
4: I think the cannibalization we saw in you know, meta today and um, also yep. Alphabet, which I love, you got to think that YouTube would be hurt by them becoming an ad subscription
2: or ad supported rather. Meanwhile, Tesla's earnings call just getting started. Four minutes in or so. We'll be monitoring that. We'll bring you all the headlines. Coming up, it's not just Netflix that was on the move. We're digging into some other big movers from today's session. The name straight ahead. Plus, the battle for Twitter isn't over yet. And the man who hired the current CEO is weighing in on Musk's bid. That interview is moments away. Fast Money's back in two.
1: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called...
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We wanted to get a check on some of the other big earnings movers from today, or big movers, I should say. Meta shares dropping almost eight percent, its biggest loss since February. Analysts at Cleveland Research saying their channel checks. Pointing to a major drop off in ad business in the current quarter, shares are down over 40% this year. Disney also dropping Florida Senate approving legislation that would remove the company's special tax district in the state. The bill goes to the House tomorrow. Governor DeSantis is expected to sign it if it passes. And Lululemon ending at its lows of the day, down 4.8%, the company announcing a membership program at its analyst day today, saying it aims to double annual sales by 2026. Wasn't all bad news though. Procter & Gamble shares jumping as the company appears to be able to pass off higher costs to the consumer And Tenant Healthcare. Shares volatile after the company's latest earnings report. The stock had been up more than 5% during the regular session. Guy, this is one that you are watching. Tenant.
5: Yeah, I think the quarter was good, but more important than just the first quarter, they gave the full year guidance came in a little bit better than the street was looking for. Now people are starting to do the math and say, you know, valuation, they can wrap their head around Tenant. By the way, Hospitals, Nobody loved hospitals a few years ago. Now everybody seems to be getting on that bandwagon. We've talked about it for a while. I think it just traded 92 a couple weeks ago. I think the stock can continue to grind higher. Um, and I think valuation makes sense here. So THC still works, in my opinion, Mel.
4: Karen, you're looking at Lulu? Yeah, first, Guy's been on the tenant thing for a long time. So huge home run guy. Uh, yeah, look at Lulu. actually traded up in the pre-market. I thought those were some pretty impressive numbers. That kind of growth doubling in five years. I mean, this is a management team that deserves to be taken at their word and you know that kind of growth and the sort of pricing power they have, I'm very surprised. It just seemed like with the Netflix news, today was the day that growth multiples died and it doesn't matter what you said or um, you know how much people love the stock, they were just gonna sell it because how can we ever know what if we run into that brick wall and we're still holding it? But I think Lulu was really impressive. I haven't owned it in a while because it seemed expensive to me. Maybe it needs to come in a little more before it gets to my sort of value area. But this, I I think it's much better today Mm -hmm. at this price with this news than yesterday.
2: By the way, we're about 10 minutes into the Tesla call and we're starting to get headlines crossing. According to Reuters, uh, Tesla management is saying that they've got a reasonable shot at 60 percent delivery growth this year. That compares with the 50 percent that they had been predicting pretty much year on year. They also say that they're working on a robo taxi vehicle which will not have a steering wheel or pedals. Um, we're seeing the stock uh, higher by 5.7 percent right now. We'll keep you posted on the other headlines coming out of the call. Meantime, coming up, the man who hired Twitter's current CEO is weighing in on the Twitter Musk drama, what he says the company needs to do with the details next. And as I mentioned, we are monitoring that conference call. We'll continue uh, to let you know about all the big headlines and when he starts to speak. He's just speaking, speaking right now, I think. Fast Money would be back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter closing around session highs today. It comes seven days after Elon Musk made an unsolicited $43 billion bid for the social media giant. And now a former Twitter senior vice president is speaking out, saying the company must drown out external and internal distractions. Alex Redder brought Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal into the company during his tenure. Alex is now general partner at Moxie Ventures. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm wondering what you think of Elon Musk, because shareholders in general, I mean, if you take a look at how the stock has reacted, think that Elon Musk has some sort of silver bullet for Twitter.
9: I think that's a problem with Twitter. They've always had this narrative that there's a silver bullet, whether it's the return of a founder or a new CEO or a new head of product. There is no silver bullet. There are a bunch of smart people who have been working there for a long time. If there were a silver bullet, they would have found it already. And also, at the end of the day, the role of the board or an owner is to not handpick favorite feature ideas. A board hires and fires a CEO and they do corporate governance. So I do think it's an unfortunate distraction, especially so early into the tenure of a new CEO.
2: Give us your insight into what Parag is like and what you think think he will bring to Twitter if he remains CEO.
9: I'm a huge fan of Parag, I should say. I did hire him when I was running ads engineering there. He's smart. He's rational. He's deeply technical. He's data driven. He's the kind of person that will make a decision and then stick with it until there's new data but not hem and haw before there's new data. He has the context of everything that's happened at Twitter. As I mentioned, there are a lot of people that have tried a lot of things. So it's important to know what didn't work out and what did work out. So you don't reinvent the wheel, try new things again. When I took over all of engineering at the company from just the ads team, which was working relatively well, I handpicked just a few people to come over and work on areas of the company that were extremely important and in dire need of help. And he was on that very, very short list. He's truly excellent.
3: Alex, what do you think the biggest disconnect is between um, activist investors who've been involved in the name um, Twitter, that is, for you know, a couple years now, and Elon now agitating and what, let's say, the board or what the current management thinks, because there seems to be a big disconnect. The stock has actually reflected that, obviously, over the last few years. And I'm not asking to comment on the stock, but I'm just saying, like, where do you think that they can find some common ground how to turn this platform around and maybe just grow faster with
9: more innovation? So I think one of the problems and unfortunate things about Twitter is it's constantly compared to something it's not. It's compared to Facebook and Instagram, these multi-billion dollar, uh, both billion user uh, networks that have a use case that makes sense for a a couple billion people every month to use. I mean, things like, you know, sharing photos online, catching up with old high school friends. Those are billion user activities per month. Twitter is great at what it's great at. But it's probably not on the same scale that real-time news and breaking events and interacting with pundits and politicians, that's not something that 2 billion people a month want to do. And so I think constantly being compared to that is is setting them up to failure. Hopefully they can find common ground, really monetizing and extracting value from what Twitter's good at. Twitter's great at sharing that real-time information. Figure out a way to monetize that. There are tweets everywhere. Tons of people that never use Twitter consume tweets because they see them on shows like yours. They see them in the media. They see them on the web. So figure out a way to extract value from all the mindshare that Twitter has instead of focusing on monthly usage. That's just not what the product is.
2: I think that's interesting that you had mentioned, um, you know, that people get the greatest bits of Twitter for free just because they're published. They're shown in other uh, forms of media. How do you think Twitter could monetize that?
9: I think it's a complicated question. And I do think the last thing Twitter needs is outsiders, and I'm an outsider now, just suggesting product ideas. But there are all kinds of models where there's content that gets distributed through other platforms, but people make money off the content. I can't go to YouTube and for free watch every video ever created, whereas analogously, that is true on Twitter. I mean, I, I can go to the news and on, on many platforms where Twitter Twitter extracts no value. I can get all the content on Twitter and they make no money. So I would sort of look at different ways to monetize that content that way, license it or something like that. But there has to be something that gets the value of the Twitter content the way people consume Twitter, which is usually off network, instead of trying to force people into the same usage metrics that Facebook and Instagram are really good at.
2: It's clear that you're a fan of Parag, Alex, um, but you also are a fan of Elon Musk. It's just that you think that Elon Musk should, should go and do bigger and better things. If he were, though, to become CEO or uh, of Twitter or own it or take it private, whatever form this transaction could could shake out, uh, you know, do you think that could be a good thing for Twitter ultimately, since he is obviously very intelligent and has a lot of good ideas?
9: He's extremely intelligent. I think that's not the criticism of Elon. I will also say I know met plenty of people at Twitter, Parag, and many others who are also extremely intelligent. I just don't think the world needs another person with an extremely strong point of view about free speech on either side of the political spectrum telling Twitter what to do. There are a million people like that. It's not clear that he can add incremental value, whereas he has a track record of adding massive incremental value in other problems, which ultimately are more impactful on the future of humanity than Mm -hmm. even what happens to it or not either way.
2: Alex, so good to get your perspective. Thank you so much for coming on to FAST. Appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Alex Rutter. All right, so 420, April 20th, 420 p.m. has passed, Karen, and there has been no tender offer so far. Um, If there should be a tender offer, what does the board have to do next?
4: So if there's a tender offer, uh, the board would need to respond to the tender offer. They would need to issue a 14D9, which is a response to a tender offer. And in that, they would need to say where what's the recommendation that shareholders do, whether they should tender, whether they should not, or whether they can remain neutral. The board can do that. It's less likely. But importantly, the board will also need to talk about how they're coming to their conclusion and what kind of talks or background there has been, with in discussions or not with Elon that in Elon's 14D1, his tender offer, he would need to show where's the financing coming from. And he would also need to detail his view of what the back and forth is between him and the board. I think that puts him in a little bit of a minefield in that I would bet he was having discussions with the board that made it seem like he was more than a passive investor prior to the time that he filed a 13D.
2: That that's a landmine for him and his his lawyers. All right. Um coming up, we are still monitoring the Tesla conference call. We're 20 minutes in. Elon Musk is speaking. Apparently he just said that we will be able to produce over one and a half million cars this year, which would imply a greater than 50% growth in deliveries. We got all the headlines that are moving the stock when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla's Q1 earnings call is underway. Elon Musk saying he has never been more optimistic about Tesla's future than he is right now. Phil Lebeau has been listening in. Phil, um, what's the news so far?
1: Uh, the news is basically, not basically, it is all Tesla related. If you were expecting him to say something about Twitter, he has not received a question. Right now they're in the pre-arranged questions from investors that they then ask Elon. He hasn't gotten to any of the analyst questions yet. And it is all about Tesla. He did say that the company uh, lost about several weeks worth of production in China, but that they are slowly ramping up. They expect China production in the second quarter to be roughly in line with what it was in the first quarter and then substantially increase in the third and fourth quarter. That's going to be one of the primary questions that analysts have in terms of the outlook over the next couple of quarters. Let's listen to what Elon had to say about China production just a few minutes ago.
7: They really had significant challenges due, due to the COVID shutdowns and nonetheless um, have been able to output uh, a tremendous number of of high-quality vehicles. Um, And we are already back up and running uh, with uh, uh, the, the Shanghai factory.
1: He also said that the company has a decent shot, those are his words, decent shot, at making a 60% increase in deliveries this year. So, Melissa, if you take a look at what they delivered last year, which was 936,000 vehicles, 60% of that would put them up somewhere around 1.497 million vehicles. uh, You know, a very outside shot at hitting 1.5 million vehicles in terms of deliveries this year. We're going to hop back on the call, see when somebody finally asks about Twitter.
2: Um, thank you, Phil. Phil LeBeau. Uh, the stock is off its after-hours session highs, Karen, which is sort of a surprise given how bullish Elon Musk has been so far. And, and we were just talking about why, why would a CEO, any CEO, and we know this is Elon Musk who's in a category of his own, but why would a CEO be so optimistic right now? when you don't have to be this optimistic given right. so many unknowns in the world. I know, well, you could just say, oh, we'll be up 40 to 50% instead of the the
4: 60. Right. I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. The only conspiracy theory guy for you, I know you love them, is that, <laughs> all right, he wants to get Tesla stock higher so that if you looking looking to margin it to buy
2: Twitter, he'll have more room to do that. Yeah, by the way, um, what Tesla's up in the after hour session is about the size of the Twitter bid, fun fact, $53 billion <laughs> in market cap gained. All right. Um, Up next, we've got final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
0: Yes, Merck. I think this is a company that has over a 10 billion opportunity in cardiovascular. It's starting to break out on the charts after a long underperformance to
5: its
8: peer group.
2: Guy Dami.
5: Halliburton reported yesterday. I thought it was a good quarter. Good guy. Stock sold off. I think that will be short lived. Halliburton.
4: Karen Feinerman. Yeah. So United Rental, which I love, had a very, very big run, though. So that is that the chart? I don't know. Um, but I got to sell some calls against it. I want to hang on to it for earnings, but selling some upside calls. Dan.
3: Yeah. If you liked what you all had to say, that's United. Um, you kind of think that you know JetBlue might have some good stuff. It's so beaten up. That one looks kind of interesting. And, and hey, Guy Dami, happy 420, buddy.
2: Yeah. Happy 420 to everybody celebrating. Uh Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.